welcome to the Road to Rural Prosperity, featuring stories about rural Oklahoma and rural America. And guiding us on the journey is Ron Hayes. Well, thank you, Billy, and welcome to yet another edition of the Road to Rural Prosperity. And today, we go to Lawton, Oklahoma, to the Comanche County Fairgrounds, where we were able to moderate a special gubernatorial forum sponsored by the Oklahoma Farm Bureau and the Oklahoma Cattlemen's Association. We're back with that complete forum, a conversation with GOP nominee and incumbent governor of the state of Oklahoma, Kevin Stett. You'll be able to hear the entire forum here in just a few moments. Hillary Communications, serving more than 19,000 customers with telephone service in 22 counties throughout Oklahoma and Texas. The company also offers IP television service and Internet speeds up to one gig. Hillary Communications continuously researches the marketplace for innovations and strives to improve underdeveloped areas offering services that exceed customer expectations. To learn more about Hillary Communications, go to hillcom.net. Good morning, one and all. Thank you so much for being here today. And I uh, tell you what, we're going to go ahead and uh, get started. I've got a few preliminaries before we get uh, the, uh, the forum Q&A actually underway. My name is Ron Hayes. I'm the senior farm broadcaster for the Radio Oklahoma Ag Network and Oklahoma Farm Report. And it's my honor to uh, uh, moderate this conversation today here uh, in in Lawton. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for uh, your interest uh, in this very important November general election that we've got just literally a few days away. I do have a statement that I wanted to read from uh, that's been crafted by the two groups that are hosting this uh, this uh, activity today. Uh, Oklahoma Farm Bureau and the Oklahoma Cattlemen's Association have joined together to uh, bring this particular effort of, uh, of education. This is really an educational effort today uh, for for voters and for those that are interested interested in this conversation. The uh, two groups say that. After the general election matchups were in place, the Oklahoma Farm Bureau and the Oklahoma Cattlemen's Association discussed a need to learn more about the positions on a variety of rural issues of the two leading candidates for governor. The groups decided that a forum with those candidates would help inform their membership and all of rural Oklahoma leading up to the November 8th general election. The groups extended an invitation to both the Republican and the Democratic nominees for governor on the 26th of September, a month ago. The GOP nominee and incumbent, Governor Kevin Stitt, replied and confirmed right away. The Democratic candidate, State Superintendent Joy Hoffmeister, was contacted at the same time as the governor, but was noncommittal. On the 10th of October... Both campaigns were provided with a list of topics that we might cover in today's forum, topics that are important in rural areas of our state and in many cases have not been front and center in other public conversations. For example, the non-doc KWTV online debate of a few days ago. Contacts continued with the Democratic nominee were made via email, text, phone calls, and in person, but no definitive answer came from the Democratic nominee until yesterday. At that time, via email, the campaign signaled that the Democratic challenger was busy today and that she would not be participating. Farm Bureau 
and OCA are thankful that Governor Stitt accepted their invitation and is willing to discuss the specific issues important to rural areas of our state. Both groups are disappointed that Democratic nominee Hoffmeister has elected not to come today. The groups did, campaign, did contact the campaign one final time, renewing the invitation and that she would be welcome if she decided to come and that preparations would be made here at the fairgrounds in anticipation that she might still show up. Thus, we have podiums set in place for GOP nominee Governor Stitt, as well as Democratic nominee Hoffmeister. That's the statement from uh, the OCA and from Oklahoma Farm Bureau, uh, agreed to by the two organizations that have organized this forum. Personally, I just wanted to add that uh, we do want to apologize that if you came today expecting to hear from both candidates. I will admit that uh, it's a little disappointing that we won't learn a little bit more about some of the ideas that the Democratic nominee has uh, if she did win in November about what she might be doing in regards to some important things going on in the life of our state in rural communities. Things like who she might be appointing to such positions as uh, the Water Resources Board, DEQ, the Oklahoma Medical Marijuana Authority, and, of course, Oklahoma State's uh, Board of Agriculture, uh, folks' uh, positions like our state secretary of agriculture. However, the governor is here. We have the questions that we've crafted from that uh, list of topics that we gave the uh, two campaigns back in early October. And uh, so it's important now that we go ahead and move forward. It's my honor as a result to welcome to the stage the Republican nominee for governor of the great state of Oklahoma, incumbent governor, Kevin Stead. Governor. First off, thank you so much to uh, Farm Bureau for the Cattlemen's Association, uh, the Oklahoma uh, Rural Radio Network, for hosting this today. It's such an honor to be back. I was in, I was all, I was in Lawton, uh, Fort Sill area all day yesterday and then back today. So it's great to be uh, in the southwest part of our, our great state. Uh, you know, I like to remind everybody how far we have come in the last four years. Uh, if you think about it, four years ago, we were dealing with teacher walkouts, four-day school weeks, budget nightmares, uh, very little money in savings. And today, we have the largest savings account in our state's history, ranked third in the entire country. We have record investments in our education system. Uh, the turnaround that Oklahomans elected me to do, it is working. We are moving the needle in the great state of Oklahoma. And, you know, when I think about Oklahomans uh, and deciding on this election how important it is, I, we don't want to go backwards. Uh, to putting Biden's party back in control of our state. And what I mean by that is, you know, Oklahomans um, are dealing with some of the things that other states are dealing with, and inflation at 40-year highs. Uh, the Biden party, uh, what are they doing? They're actually advocating for tax hikes. Meanwhile, in Oklahoma, we cut taxes for every single Oklahoman, every single business. And when families are struggling to keep their lights on, uh, the Biden administration, they're begging Russia and OPEC to produce more oil. Meanwhile, in Oklahoma, we're going to stand to protect our way of life 
and the oil and gas jobs. Uh, we have some of the most, the cleanest water, cleanest air in the country, the most affordable electricity uh, to the consumer and the businesses. And when, when families really, we all want the same things. Wherever we live in the state of Oklahoma, we want safe communities for our children. The Biden party is defunding the police and they're attacking our law enforcement. Meanwhile, in Oklahoma, what are we doing? We back the blue. We actually gave our law enforcement a 30% pay increase this year. It's the first one they'd had in over a decade. Folks, uh, the turnaround that you elected me to do, it's working. We want to keep this momentum going. We all know that Oklahoma is the best place to live, to work, to raise a family, and we want to keep those values strong in our great state. Let's talk a little bit about some of the things going on now uh, during this campaign season. Maybe, maybe first of all, about the campaign. How, how, how are things going? You know, maybe give us a story about somebody that has really stuck in your mind that maybe you've had a conversation with uh, across the state. You know, it's, it's, it's going great. Uh, when I travel the state, I've been to all 77 counties, and it's such a rewarding experience to meet people all over the state. And, uh, you know, I know that specifically on the farmers and ranchers that I've talked to, some of the drought situation uh, was so, so uh, uh, you know, hard hit for some of our rural farmers and ranchers. We've heard about um, normally producing X amount of uh, hay, and right now it's about a third of that. So we're doing everything we can as a state to uh, protect, and we've got about $23 million in drought relief for our, for our farmers and ranchers. We did an executive order uh, that would, uh, l- would, would remove some of the obstacles to bring hay in from out of state for weight and uh, permitting purposes. So those are, those are things we always hear, and we take those back to the Capitol, and then we try to execute on, on those. But the other thing I would say is we all want the exact same things in our state, and we talked about that a while ago. That's safe communities, the best education for our kids, the best roads and bridges, and hopefully we'll get into some of those things and, and what we've done over the last four years and then our vision for the next four. You mentioned the drought. Let's, let's start there. I mean, I, I think we've got a few hallelujahs out here in the, in the audience today because of the rains Monday, Tuesday of this week, and maybe a little bit more coming Thursday night, Friday. That's, that's a blessing for sure. But, you know, you mentioned the $23 million that's been authorized by, uh, by the legislature. You signed that, uh, that authorization as well. Is that enough? Or, you know, how would you judge if we needed more? Well, I mean, obviously, we have to balance uh, taking care of uh, every single industry uh, with also making sure that we watch the taxpayers. And so I am not for new taxes, and, and I'm excited about the budget. that We've been able to hold a flat budget while investing in these things, uh, like law enforcement. We've put more money in education than any other governor in history, all while um, doing a tax cut and building the largest savings account in our state's history. That doesn't happen by accident. As a business person, and, and Oklahomans elected a business person to put a fresh set of eyes on running the state government like a business, I think that's so important. So I'll listen to uh, my Secretary of Agriculture, uh, Blaine Arthur, and I think she is the best secretary in the entire country. Uh, ever, yeah, thank you. And so, so when she tells me, here's what the farmers are saying, here's what we need, uh, then we're going to act. And I just thank the legislature uh, for, for putting the $23 million, making it available for us to get that out across the finish line to our farmers and ranchers. I know that uh, Secretary Arthur is somewhere in the audience. Where are you? There you are. Thank you for being here today, Blaine. You know, you talk about drought. 
along with that, and we saw it this last weekend before we finally got these, uh, these very uh, timely rains that came in, lots of wind, hot, fire danger rising again. And we've had that multiple times here in 2022 as well as recent years over the life of your first term. You know, are we doing everything we need to do to make sure those rural fire departments have the tools that they need to be uh, successful in, in keeping our, our communities, our homes, our farmsteads uh, all safe? Yeah, first off, there's probably some folks in the audience here that are part of a rural fire department protecting your, your communities, and thank you for that. I think that's uh, uh, just so, so important. So we put $6.175 million to rural fire uh, fighters uh, uh, this past year, thanks to the legislature. And that's all because of, I can't uh, explain it enough that, that uh, you have to be very judicious with the taxpayer dollars. And so because we've been able to uh, hold budgets flat across different state agencies and always asking these tough questions and being accountable with your tax dollars, we're, alab- we're able to strategically invest in certain things. So we put $6.1 million uh, into our rural fighters, w- firefighters, which is important uh, to give them the equipment that they need. Uh, but also when we have these fires that spring up uh, in the springs that are inevitable for- to happen, uh, I'm in communication with the Department of Ag, with our forestry department, giving them the tools that they need. Uh, we have called up our state assets in a lot of cases, which is our uh, National Guard that's under my command, and I got them deployed out to drop uh, water on the different areas. I work with Congressman Lucas's office, and we've got air tankers coming in to help fight those firefighters. So all resources we put on these things when we need it. Uh, and then also, uh, from a, the business side of me, I went and I set up contracts with private industry, uh, with the air tractor folks out of Dallas, uh, with firefighting equipment that we can actually do quicker and cheaper and more affordable for the taxpayers. Uh, but we want, want you to know that, that when there are issues, the state will put all the resources to protect our assets and, our, uh, and help our rural fighters, firefighters have all the equipment that they need. A lot of cases, we even have some folks come in from out of state. I know you're probably in contact with in other states, other governors. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Governor Abbott, you know, when they have an issue in Texas, he'll call me and we can uh, uh, reciprocate, send folks down there. And then, of course, they're going to do the same thing with, uh, with us. Um, in, in the forestry departments, there's a conglomerate of 17 states or so that we will share equipment. And so it's a great industry and it's, a, it's an industry that we're always going to help. I mean, we'll send some of our firefighters out to uh, California to help when they're having wildfire fires, firefighter fires, and, uh, and they'll do the same for us. Governor, I neglected to mention before we, uh, we started, we are uh, having this uh, streamed uh, live on, on Facebook, thanks to the Oklahoma Cattlemen's Association for putting that on their page today, but uh, we'll hopefully have some folks watching uh, from around the state and beyond. Let's talk about one of those things that just flared up just almost out of nowhere, medical marijuana, as it was approved by a vote of the people the legislature this last year finally pushing back a bit, passing a good bit of, uh, of, of legislation, several pieces, in fact, that you signed, uh, that gave us some, some controls, uh, getting our arms around what almost seemed like the Wild West uh, in our rural areas of the state when it came to medical marijuana, the grow houses. Grow house situation still is a mess in a lot of places. Uh, give me your thoughts on where we are right now, what we were able to accomplish in this last legislative session what needs still to be done well thank you you know i listened and heard specifically from rural oklahoma 
about this issue. And so I'll kind of go through a list of the things that we've done. And this, this passed a year before I came into office, and it was kind of a poorly written referendum. And Oklahomans uh, have a big heart. So in other words, if there's going to be medicine that's going to help someone, we, we absolutely want to do that. Uh, but now we know that this medical marijuana uh, is more like recreational than anything. Anybody with a hangnail can get a medical uh, card. Um, and so where do we find ourselves? Um, we found ourselves with, with just kind of all the riffraff and the people, and we have more grow houses here than they do in California. We have 10% the population that California does. And so we put a moratorium. I passed a law this year to say no more new licenses for two years till we can get control of that. Also in Oklahoma, we charge $2,500 for a license, $2,500. You know what they charge in California? $181,000. So we were getting adversely selected. We were getting picked off. So we changed that fee, that barrier to entry to make it more market. We hired 80 new law enforcement officers to enforce that. We passed a law because I heard from you and we saw foreign nationals buying up farmland. So we're one of only 14 states. We passed a law that no longer can a foreign national own farm and ranch land in the state of Oklahoma. Then we found out that they were using straw buyers to do it. So we started arresting and started fixing that. And we've started making sure that we're uh, enforcing the rule of law. I hired 80 new law enforcement officers. We spun that agency out uh, to a standalone agency, and we hired Adria Berry to oversee that. And she is doing a really, really good job of coordinating with Bureau of Narcotics and our law enforcement to enforce the rule of law. So I could go through. We've got secret shoppers. We instituted seed to sell. We will enforce the rule of law. Uh, the legislature and I just, it, it came right before I got here. And so we played a little catch up with uh, the enforcement of it because it just sprung up in a poorly worded state question. And that's the problem. When those things go into our Constitution versus doing it uh, uh, thoughtfully through legislation. And so I know that's more of a complicated question answer, but uh, we're all over that issue and we have got to, and we will make sure we're a rule of law in Oklahoma. You uh, mentioned the Oklahoma Medical Marijuana Authority. Uh, literally, we're just a couple of days away, November 1st, when it becomes a standalone agency. Is that, that going to be a, a helpful thing, you think? You know, we think so. It was underneath the health, uh, health department. And, uh, and we said, man, until we get control of this, we have got to just focus on it, make sure there's one neck to choke, so to speak, right? We always want to know who's in charge. Government sometimes, everybody points their fingers, right? And so that's what I, as a businessman, I had to say, okay, you're in charge. Let's go fix it. What do you need to fix this? And I tell Oklahomans all the time, if, if all 4 million Oklahomans could sit in my office and we could talk about the issues, it's a no-brainer what to do. Uh, but 30-second commercials and, and, uh, and advertisements from some of these dark money groups confuse the issue. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what really what happened whenever we voted on it in the first place, uh, et cetera, et cetera. That's really what's happening with our election right now is there's some dark money groups trying to buy this election to support my opponent, uh, which hopefully we get a chance to talk about. Uh, but it, when you have a standalone agency and all eyes are on Adria Berry, we're going to get this fixed, and we passed the law. The legislature's all over it. I see a couple of them in the audience, and, uh, and we will hear from you, and then we'll go execute, and we'll put those things in law to make sure that we enforce the rule of law. There's some operators that do it the right way. We've got to get the riffraff out of the business. We'd, uh, we'd like to hear from that Democratic nominee about uh, that dark money, but unfortunately, uh, she's not here today. So let's move on. State question 820. Uh, could you give us maybe uh, d defend this this whole process that we've we changed how 
signatures could be verified. I know that the proponents of 820 upset that it's not on the November ballot. Uh, you have established a March special election for that. But why did it take the, so long to get those signatures verified? Yeah, so the secretary, the way it works is you have to gather up so many signatures from the last general election. And so once those signatures are gathered, they're turned into the secretary of state's office. They have a process that they go through. They've got computer software that's trying to validate those signatures to make sure they're registered voters, right? We don't want some out-of-state firms, which is what it is, standing at just the state fair in Oklahoma City and Tulsa and making decisions for all of rural Oklahoma. So actually, I'm working with the legislature to reform that. We need the signatures to have to be represented from all over Oklahoma, from southwest Oklahoma, northwest Oklahoma. Force them to actually get signatures from you. And unfortunately, that's not the way our system works right now. But the process is to verify, make sure they're all voters. And then there's a 30-day comment period. It goes to the state Supreme Court. Uh, when the state Supreme Court finally gave back to me, the governor's office, and said, okay, now it's ready to go on a ballot, we, we, within a week we put it on uh, the first available election, which was that March 7th election, to let people decide. Uh, that's the way our Constitution works. We want the people to decide on that uh, recreational issue. Okay. 820. We will be voted on in, in March. Uh, you thinking you're going to have a stance on it? Yeah, I'm, I'm not supportive of, uh, of 820, recreational marijuana. Uh, you got to remember, it's still illegal uh, federally, and uh, we can't have a patchwork of different states doing different things. And so I'm a fairness person, and uh, it puts our businesses in a tough situation. Uh, we already are having, a, I have enough chaos. I've got to get control of the medical piece uh, before we introduce something else. So I'm going to be uh, telling Oklahomans that we should not vote on the recreational piece. I know that the state really can't do a lot about inflation. That's uh, one of those, those topics, those, those things that you just kind of have to say, well, here it is. We, we've got to, you've got to try to deal with it. Are there programs that the state can take on, could offer, that would help both rural and urban citizens cope with the rising prices that are just out there everywhere? Yeah, well, first, I think it is important that we touch on it just briefly. What's causing inflation? And it's really the Biden administration's policy. Uh, the left is trying to attack the oil and gas industry. And every president of the United States since 1973, whether they were Republican or Democrat, it didn't matter. They had common sense to, to say, we're going to meet the needs of Americans with our own resources until this administration. And they canceled the Keystone Pipeline, day one in office. The same year my opponent joined their party. They make it impossible. They try to put their thumb on the scale. And they try to uh, get rid of the oil and gas industry. Well, Oklahoma is number four in oil production in the entire country. We're number three in natural gas production. But we also have a lot of wind. We're not afraid of having these conversations to have all of the above. Uh, we have number two in wind energy production. So right now, Oklahoma has some of the most affordable electricity in the country. And I've told this to President Biden. I've told this to the Secretary of Energy. You need to unleash Oklahoma companies, American companies, to meet the needs of Americans. Uh, because demand is the same, right? We're still driving our kids to school, driving them to football practice, and heating our homes and businesses. When you choke off supply, then the prices are going to go up. Their solution is just buy oil from Russia or release from our strategic stockpile or ask, beg OPEC to produce more oil. Uh, the problem is... This is a national security issue, and so that's why it's so important that uh, we, we speak common sense uh, to our leaders up in Washington, D.C. Specifically here in Oklahoma, 
you know, some of the things that we've done uh, during COVID, we saw the, the meat processing. We have 41 new meat processors all over rural Oklahoma, which we're excited about. I cut taxes last year to help working families. And you've noticed that I'm out front on getting rid of the grocery tax. Um, it's four and a half percent. I'm not talking about the city's portion, but the grocery tax is a regressive tax, meaning people on the lower income will spend more of their percentage of their money on groceries than people in the higher income. We're one of only 13 states that taxes groceries. Ours is one of the highest. And those two things that I'm asking the legislature to pass will help the average family and put $455 back in their pockets every single year. So those are the things that I'm, I'm, I'm pushing for. And uh, I think it makes sense. We just got to, we've got to get that across the finish line. I would never put our, our, uh, uh, our economy or people in a tough, our government in a tough situation. That's why we first built the largest savings account in our state's history. But at some point when I have excess revenue, do you want us to figure out how to spend more money at the Capitol or give it back to the people? And that's what I keep telling the legislature. We can, we're going to have a billion-dollar surplus next year. I've already got a $3 billion savings, and I'm not going to raise expenses. I want to give that back to the people. I believe in smaller government, lower taxes. I believe uh, you may have uh, mentioned uh, in that non-doc KWTV debate you on energy, one other area that I thought was pretty fascinating. I've done some podcasts with uh, several folks, including Senator uh, David, who's big, uh, been a big uh, proponent of, uh, of hydrogen. And it seems like Oklahoma's uh, trying to take a leadership role in that as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, hydrogen is another, another form of energy. And I keep telling everybody, uh, I told this to President Biden, we need more of everything. Oklahoma does it well. We've already talked about oil and gas, uh, wind. But hydrogen is something that people are really excited about exploring that. Oklahoma also could be, uh, you know, the hub for hydrogen. So I signed an um, MOU, which is a Memorandum of Understanding, with the governor of Arkansas and the governor of Louisiana. And we believe we're going to get a $2 billion commercialization uh, proof from the federal government to prove commercialization use of hydrogen uh, for our three states. It's really exciting. We just landed a hydrogen hub in Ardmore. Uh, but hydrogen is made from natural gas. We've got a lot of natural gas. So that's super good. And it's made from water. And then we've got a lot of water. So either one, it's either green hydrogen or blue hydrogen. Uh, but also I tell people this, that if, 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 if hydrogen is going to be a, a wave of the future, a new energy source, uh, it moves differently through pipelines than natural gas does. So you're, we're going to have to have more pipeline production. Well, then that freaks out the left who wants to refuse pipeline development. Uh, we've got to have common sense, right, to meet the needs of Americans all over our country. And I could go into a lot of details here. I testified before Congress for our oil and gas industry, for our pipeline industry. And it's just amazing to me uh, that the Biden party does not want to have honest conversations. And they're harming us, the people, with, at the gas pump, and they're harming us at the grocery store. Because the reason we have 40-year high inflation is because of the attack on the energy, and, and energy sector, because demand is the same. And I don't know why it's hard for them to understand that, uh, but putting their finger on it actually harms working families. It's almost noon, so uh, we're going to talk a little bit longer. But I thought if you might remember, reminisce with me back uh, uh, your first uh, run for governor, uh, we were on a stage together with a Republican challenger of yours and had the chance to ask you at that time about your favorite, uh, favorite cut of beef. 
Oklahoma Cattlemen sponsoring that event. We've got some other great uh, folks representing the poultry and the pork industry here as well. But, you know, reminisce, may, maybe uh, uh, tell us a little bit maybe about one of your favorite barbecues uh, with, with family and friends. You know, what, what would be a perfect barbecue for the Stitt family? Well, I'd like to remind everybody, I'm the governor that uh, barbecued underneath the PETA sign in South <laughs> Oklahoma City. Y'all all remember that? That was, so, good, that was a good day. So, yeah, bring, it, bring in the Cattlemen's, Cattlemen's Group. So what happened, the backstory on that, uh, it's so funny because the governor of Colorado shut his state down and refused to let events happen. We were so fortunate to be located in Oklahoma, ladies and gentlemen, uh, as we kept everything open and we refused. Other governors were saying there's an essential business and non-essential. Then it was all politics to decide, are you on the essential business list or the non-essential? I said, that's nonsense. We're not going to put our Constitution in the attic just because somebody in Washington, D.C. tells us to. Uh, every business is essential if that's where you get your paycheck or that's what you invest in. And so I went and recruited this company to come to, or this cattle show to come to Oklahoma. And it was 17 days of, of hotels filled, restaurants filled, and they've officially left Colorado after over 100 years and moved to the great state of Oklahoma. So sure you're referring to Cattlemen's Congress. Cattlemen's Congress. Third, third Cattlemen's Congress comes up January 2023. So they're they're back for another they're, run. They're back for another one. And you didn't want me to tell that story on the the, the, the Drew Edmondson story, did you, or what? <laughs> it's, your, it's your choice, sir. Okay. I think most people in rural Oklahoma would rather have Blaine Arthur as the Secretary of Ag than my opponent putting Drew Edmondson as the Secretary of Ag. I'll just tell you that right now. Because... Their policies, the administration that she joined, the party she joined, really attacks our way of life and, and, the, and the poultry industry and, and all the lawsuits. And we remember that. We don't want to go backwards now uh, to that type of policy driving our way of life and what we believe in in Oklahoma. Let's jump into uh, rural economic development. You know, these days, I think uh, when you say those words, you almost have to have a conversation almost immediately about uh, rural broadband. Feds have poured a lot of money into this area, billions. State legislatures earmark money as well, and we've got a state broadband office that's been established, uh, a couple of uh, couple of groups under that umbrella. Oklahoma has the opportunity to, to shape how the build-out happens, but how do we do it right for rural Oklahoma? Yeah, well, first off, uh, Brent Kissling. I put him, when I first came into office, as my secretary, as my uh, uh, director of commerce. He's from a town of 124 people, Burlington, Oklahoma, and has done an amazing job. And I just was had a meeting at the Capitol before I came over, came down to Lawton, and uh, met with all of my commerce. I do this monthly where we go through all the projects, what, what's happening. There's a reason why we hit our lowest unemployment in state history just a few months back, and our economy and wage growth is moving forward, and our, we have this momentum and revenue growth. But 40% of our wins right now in commerce are in rural Oklahoma. Actually, 41% uh, are in rural Oklahoma. The 10-year average was less than 30%, uh, just to give you a comparison. So I know that Kisling and myself are focused on making sure that we don't just bring jobs to, to Oklahoma City or Tulsa, but we're spreading that out with economic development all over the state. Uh, but you sp spoke about broadband, $550 million in broadband. Uh, we're 26th in the country right now. I have a governor's scorecard that I rank all these different stats. And that's what I came, brought from my business sector, business career was, hey, let's, let's have a realistic view where we are, and then what do we need to do to be top 10? 
Okay, in business, I would always compare myself to other companies. Like, if they can do it, we can do it. And now as a governor, I'm like, if Florida can do it, we can do it. If Texas can do it in their economy, we can do it. If this state is beating us in education, we can do it. And so that's what I do. We're 26th in broadband. We've moved up 23 spots since I took over. Uh, And the goal is to be 97% with high-speed Internet connection, uh, and we're going to get there in the next few years. Uh, But 41% is something I'm really excited about. Over 40% of all the wins have been in rural Oklahoma, uh, and we're going to continue to do that. There were some prep funds. We spent about $250 million in what we call prep funds uh, to invest in economic development all over the state. Uh, so we need more shovel-ready sites. When we are showing these big companies, uh, when they want to move, they, they don't want to wait two years to get electricity and get the roads and get things built. They want to make sure that they can start building immediately. So putting some of these sites together is really important. I'm going to Burns Flat on Monday. We're announcing a big project there. Uh, but we've done some stuff in Ardmore, the northern part of our state, and then the northeast part. You know, it's kind of a combination. You need to be, obviously, a negotiator in chief, I guess you might say, for the state of Oklahoma when it comes to rural development, but also a cheerleader. How how do you balance that? Yeah, well, I mean, first off, uh, I I think you you get the right people in commerce, and we're not going to bet a 1,000, but I tell my team, hey, we're going to go swing for the fences every time. You see us meeting with uh, uh, the Teslas and all the big companies, and we're going after some big whales and, and I think we'll get our fair share. I really do. Uh, but it comes back to workforce. It comes back to education. There's a lot of things that go in through that commerce window. Uh, but shovel-ready sites or something. Uh, but I tell people it's our work ethic, the people. And people are realizing it right now. We're becoming the flavor of the month in Oklahoma. We're number 11 in the country right now in people moving to our state because of our pro-business, pro-freedom policies. So let's be clear with our culture, and, and we believe in traditional family values, and I think that's very attractive to companies all over and, and individuals moving here. Um, and, and, and so we're number 11 in that, not per capita, but true numbers. And so uh, we've got some what I call an arbitrage, meaning we've got an advantage because of our cost of living, mm-hmm. our quality of life, our labor cost uh, is so much better than it is in California, Forget the regulation and the high taxes those states have. Uh, we've got a, also a lot of huge advantages here. And COVID showed us you could live anywhere. That's why broadband's so important. It kind of all fits together. Uh, and it's exciting for me to keep that momentum going. And we're halfway there. And, and, uh, and I just am asking for your vote for four more years. All right. To get uh, business in, you've got to have the workforce. And that brings us to education. Uh, you know, this has been a big conversation. Obviously, uh, your Democratic challenger has been the state school superintendent, and uh, you can perhaps talk about uh, that that job performance there if you care to. But but I know that I've got a lot of empathy for for the teaching profession. My dad was a VOAG teacher, and uh, then he he switched to junior high science in order to uh, be able to uh, have more time on the farm during the summer. Because those little ag teachers, they work all year round. They're, they're, they're hard workers for sure. And they're, they're in Indianapolis right now. Well, well, maybe we'll talk about that in just a moment. But, you know, there are no easy answers when it comes to education, it doesn't seem like, because we're spending a lot of money. I think the average is right around $10,000 a student a year. And there's been talk about we need to put more money in, you know, how much money do we need? How much more money do we need to be successful in education and move the needle? Yeah. Well, first off, I, I want to address you know, especially rural Oklahoma. It's so important for me to be here. 
to to have you an- to answer questions for over an hour here, however long uh, Ron keeps me up here. <laughs> but uh, you know, there's been so many negative ads and confusions and lies and chaos, and about twenty five million dollars been spent to confuse Oklahomans, especially rural Oklahomans. I've had some of my friends send me like mailers that said. Uh, and they, they're targeting the actual school, Amber Pocasset and Latta and Wayne, where I went to first grade, and, and Guyman, and says, Governor Stitt's going to close your school down. Well, that is so disappointing that people would lie like that and try to scare and fear, fear-monger people. Let me be perfectly clear with you. Uh, I will protect our rural communities and our way of life. It was our rural schools that stayed open the entire time through COVID. Well, my opponent, my opponent who's not here right now, fought to keep schools closed. I couldn't figure it out. Big schools in Oklahoma City and Tulsa, big school districts, were closed for 355 days. 355 days. And if any of you were governor and you had to call and listen to the moms and the dads that called my office, and they would say, Governor, my first grader is not learning how to read on Zoom. And my fifth grader, is getting behind in math. They can't, they can't do it. We don't have good internet at home. I have to go to work during the day. And it would break your heart. My kids were in school the whole time. Your kids in rural Oklahoma were in, were in school. Rural schools are the fabric of our state. And that's why I get so frustrated whenever they lie to everybody and they send out those flyers. The truth is I've put more money in education than any other governor in history. And I'm going to continue to do that. We gave our wonderful teachers a pay raise to pay market. You have to pay market to get the best and brightest. We passed a law this year to pay teachers up to $100,000 a year. Because what, what I found was our teachers of the year were going into administration sometimes or principal superintendents. And other states were doing these mentor teachers and able to pay them $100,000 to keep them in the classroom so they can train our younger teachers. So those are the ideas I have is to protect our rural schools, continue to put more money in it, and also to demand higher standards. In our state, though, that's why I'm such a big fan of Ryan Walters. He is a public school teacher from McAllister, Oklahoma, and he wants to stand with parents. He's just like me. They're lying about him as well. Uh, He wants to make sure that parents are in charge and we fund our schools. But the truth is, I don't know if you guys saw this nationally, but that just came out that, uh, surprise, surprise, there was a decline in test scores over COVID, right? And these other states, I could, I could see why they would be because most of them were closed down and, and, uh, and they, were, they were refusing to let in-person you know, classes. But I did not expect Oklahoma. And Oklahoma dropped 12 points in reading, 8 points in math. And my, my opponent is the superintendent of education. She wants to talk about everything. Uh, hope you asked me about the mansion. She wants to talk about, she's running all <laughs> kinds of stories. Um, so, except for her record in education. And so that's why I want to get someone in there that I can actually work with, that we can have higher standards, and we can put, get money on target. The other thing I like to remind people is there's more non-teachers right now, more non-teachers in our system than actual teachers. We have a law that you're only supposed to spend 5% of the money in administration, the rest should go to the classroom. So I called for an audit on some of the big districts that I know that they're, they're skirting around that rule. And my opponent called that an attack. Well, I said, man, where I come from, we call that transparency. Let's figure out where the money's going and let's get it on target into our teachers, into the classrooms.
I'm told that uh, Secretary Walters is in the uh, in the room. If you want to wave to the folks, Ryan Walters. I hope he was here to hear that good shout out I gave for him. Right? <laughs> Indeed. Let's 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 keep going on education just for a moment. A couple of steps up. Uh, I, I mentioned FFA just a few moments ago. Uh, career Tech, Ag Education is a part of Career Tech. Uh, and that's, that's, a, that's a great, I guess, partnership, you might call it, between these local school districts and the career tech organization uh, within, within our state educational system. Uh, FFA, are, we've got uh, about 2,000 Oklahoma FFA members, by the way, in Indianapolis this week for the national convention. Awesome. We, are the, we are one of the elite states when it comes to FFA nationally, so I'm, I'm wishing those guys well for sure. But tell me how you intend to support career tech. In other words, what, where, where do we need to go with career tech to make it all it can be for FFA and for all the other aspects of uh, what, they're, what they're responsible for? Thank you. Well, first off, career techs, we've got one of the best career tech systems in the entire country, and, and, and I want to talk about that. But I also want to speak directly. The FFA, those 4-H programs, those are so important to rural Oklahoma. Those are the leaders of tomorrow. Uh, my own son, I just saw and recognized how important that was. My little brother showed um, uh, steers in FFA when we were in high school. And then so I got my son. He showed uh, pigs uh, his junior year at Jones High School. Uh, it's just so important. I just love the programs. Um, so we're going to continue to support those. OSU Extension Office, uh, we gave $4 million to the OSU Extension Office this year, an additional funding, put $7 million in our vet program at Oklahoma State to redo that. We should be the number one vet program in the entire country. We wanted to make sure they had the facilities for that. Uh, so the career techs do so many th great things for our young people, but also they are training such an, they're such an important part of workforce. And I like to remind people, the reason we have to have leaders that think outside the box on education is not every kid is going to go become a doctor or lawyer or engineer. And somehow that's how we've kind of over the last 20 years started pushing people. And so I set up a brand new high school in Norman, Oklahoma for, for aviation. And so now if you're a junior in high school, you can become an AMP mechanic. And the starting salary at AMP mechanic at American Airlines in Tulsa is $70,000 a year. And so we need career techs training more AMP mechanics, more electricians, more plumbers, more HVAC. Uh, it, those things are so, so important. So we have, we have got to align higher ed, career techs, and common ed. I want people, kids to get accredited. Other states, if you go to career techs, uh, they're so aligned with higher ed where the accreditation lies that you can get college credit while you're there. That's something Oklahoma has not quite figured out. We've got to do a better job of stop being so siloed and start really thinking about what does, how has God uniquely created that young person, and how can we show them a pathway and a career that's fantastic for them? There's, there are so many young people out there uh, that, that, that maybe are not going to go to the OU or OSU and become an engineer, uh, but we've got to show them a, a great path through the career tech system, through different, uh, uh, different uh, AMPs and all the different things that are available for them. And so that's, those are the things I'm focused on.
within your administration? In other words, we've already seen some examples of what you've done the first four years, but give us a little more of your philosophy about how you try to choose folks that are key players within your administration. You've met, mentioned Deborah Kissling, you've mentioned Secretary Arthur and, and uh, Adria Berry, others. How, how do you get people that can be successful in some of these roles that, that can get us down the road to be a better, better state? Well, I, I try to find the very best people from all over the state of Oklahoma that think like I do, uh, that have our type of values. And one of the greatest picks I've got was putting Ron Justice on the Water Resource Board. That guy's unbelievable. <laughs> Senator Justice is out here somewhere. I saw Ron. Just, there he is, Senator Justice. And I mean, so basically, it's all about picking the right people. Three mm-hmm. out of my last four picks for, higher, uh, for, for the higher regents have been for rural Oklahoma. So I try to get a, uh, a cross-section all over the state of Oklahoma and, and, and also the right people. Mm-hmm. Uh, my opponent, it's all about governments and ESG lending, and they check a box on who they want to put. I have more female cabinet secretaries on my cabinet than any other governor in history because the people that I choose are unbelievably smart. Blaine Arthur is a perfect example of that. Uh, that when we looked and see, to see who should lead ag, uh, she was the right person. Uh, so I never, like, uh, look at race or female or male. I literally try to go pick the very best person. And that's been my philosophy in business uh, because that's what you elected me to do. You don't want me up there in, Wash- in, 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 uh, in Oklahoma City playing politics. You want me there moving the needle, making Oklahoma top ten, looking at every contract and every agreement and making sure that we're holding people accountable for your tax dollar. And sometimes politicians get up there and they get so ingrained in it, they start doing this with special interest and doing this with this special interest, and then it can cloud their, their, their vision. So I want you to know every day I think about the taxpayer. You'll ask my team. I, I yell in my office sometimes. I get frustrated. I'm like, who is thinking about the taxpayer? Uh, because lobbyists and everybody else is thinking about their industry they're, they're fighting for. Nobody is fighting for the taxpayer. Uh, Blaine's shaking her head because she knows I'm doing that all the time. Who is thinking about the taxpayer? That's our jobs. That's my job. And so uh, that's kind of how I pick the cabinet people. And, and uh, it's from rural Oklahoma. It's the best person. Uh, it's, a, it's a diverse group from all different corners of the state to get that thought process. And I tell people, I don't have all the answers. I have to have people around me that are experts in their different industries. Uh, and then I can lead and we can make the right decision. So I want my team arguing with me. I want them pushing back. I want them telling me all the 360-degree view of whatever issue we're talking about because we can make a decision. Sam Walton, in his book, I loved it, he said, you know, if we're all thinking the same in a boardroom, nobody's thinking. We all, I want all the opinions out there, and then we go make a decision uh, that's best for the taxpayer. Let's, uh, we're, we're kind of rounding the, the, uh, the final turn, heading toward home with some of my questions we've got for you today. But one of the elephants, elephants in the room, as far as the state of Oklahoma is concerned, is this uh, Supreme Court decision, short, short uh, a title for it is McGirt, uh, 
there was already intention in the air with the, with the tribes because of the conversation about uh, what they were paying the state uh, regarding the, their gaming, their, their casinos. But McGirt arrived. It elevated uh, whatever that tension was several times over. Uh, we've had some additional clarification from the Supreme Court, but you've got a tough position to be in. The governor, whoever that would be, could, would continue to have a very tough position to be in in regards to, to protecting the interest of Oklahomans uh, because of the McGirt decision, but at the same time trying to be civil and trying to reduce some of the tension uh, in, in the room right now regarding the, this issue. And that's, that's obviously entered into this, uh, into this governor, uh, uh, governor's race as well. Yeah. Well, I, I like to remind people, McGirt uh, was the federalization of half of our state. It was really... Uh, we lost jurisdiction to prosecute crimes, was there taxation, uh, the ability to regulate things. So I wasn't going to be the governor. I'm the governor that's elected to think about what's best for all 4 million Oklahomans, and I'm not going to federalize half of our state. Let me, let me put it in perspective. If somebody, when, if McGirt was the rule of the land, law of the land, if somebody stole your cattle and they were a native, uh, then the state could not prosecute that. You were just out of money. Uh, they couldn't prosecute that. If somebody stole my mom's car because uh, she's native, the district attorney could not prosecute that or, or uh, that crime. So I do not believe we can have a, a going concern as a state if we have multiple different sets of rules based on your race or your heritage or where you live in the state. And so that's why I fought so hard for one set of rules. And I can't believe it's, it's, uh, it's not complicated. I want to treat everybody fairly. Uh, it's not fair for uh, Joe Native, a heritage person, to live and not have to pay state income tax, and Susie, non-Native heritage person, has to pay income tax. It's just it's crazy, and we all go to the same schools, we drive on the same roads, and so that's why I fought for that. It's not fair. The Daniel Vivier case, three guys uh, beat up a, an 85-year-old man, almost killed him. They were sentenced to prison. Daniel Vivier shows his, his uh, Indian card, and he gets out of prison. The other two are still in prison. So that's not fair. And I don't know what, what world we're living in when people think that's fair. Talk to the district attorneys and you talk to the police departments. Uh, they were having so many problems in the eastern part of the state. They have thanked me because I fought and I got a case back to the United States Supreme Court called Castro. And we won. And it basically just said, of course, the state has got to be able to prosecute everybody exactly the same. It just makes common sense. We just want a tax case. Um, we won a tax case because there was 9,000 protests from people that saying that they didn't have to pay taxes in the state of Oklahoma if they had native heritage. And I said, guys, this is ridiculous. And so luckily the tax commission agreed with us and said, of course, we're all Oklahomans. And I think that's the biggest misconception that people have is I'm a member of the Cherokees. My mom, all my cousins, rodeo in the, in the Indian Rodeo Association. I'm proud of our heritage. But it doesn't mean that my job as governor to, is to give away half of my jurisdiction of my state. I will not be the governor that does that. My opponent would not even admit in the debate, I want you to go back and watch it, she wouldn't even admit that everybody had to pay taxes in the state of Oklahoma equally and fairly. She wouldn't admit that. Um, she she's for federalizing eastern Oklahoma. Uh, and I think that's important for us all to know is that I'll give you 25 million reasons uh, that my opponent will be more beholden to the special interest than you, the people, because they're funding her campaign. They're spreading lies and smears about me trying to buy this election to get her elected. And so, again, that's a very distinct difference between her and I. I will not uh, give away my state 
to anybody. We are the state of Oklahoma, and we all have to have one set of rules. We've talked a little bit about taxes already, but there's one issue that uh, the groups that are sponsoring this today and all the other agricultural groups, I think, are pretty well in agreement as well. Uh, Farm Bureau, Cattlemen, the others as well, uh, are very, uh, very, always very concerned, a little apprehensive of every legislative session when it comes in and when it comes to the agricultural sales tax exemption. If you're elected for the next four years, are you going to continue to support that exemption? Hundred percent. Yeah, we wouldn't do anything that would mess with our farm exemptions. You guys feed the feed uh, the world, and uh, we're so proud of you. We're so proud of your industry. Uh, th- I don't think any other state would 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 do that. And of course, we wouldn't do that as Oklahomans. You got to realize how I've led for the last four years, and uh, how I'm going to continue to lead for the next four. Let's talk about vision if we might, for a few moments. We've talked a lot about accomplishments and some of the things going on kind of in the here and now, but let's look out. Let's, let's cast out four years into that second term of whoever the governor is for the next four years, maybe 10 years out as well. What's the vision for rural Oklahoma, for all of Oklahoma for that matter? Yeah, you know, the, the, the vision, the leader has got to rally everybody. We can, we can, do, we can do better. We always can do better. And so that's why I've set this goal to be top 10 in everything that we did. My analogy that I gave about my company and how we would compare ourselves, if Florida can be 17th in test scores right now, we can do it too in Oklahoma. Uh, We're number five in bridge conditions, and we've set that goal. We remember in 2002 when we had that that wreck on I-40 and 14 people lost their lives. We made a direct focus as a a state that we were going to be top 10 in bridges. And we have kept that momentum going. We hit number five in the country in bridge conditions right now. We're 28th in pavement conditions. That's why I have these rankings uh, to see where we're at and where we need to go to be top 10. And so I just see the momentum happening in Oklahoma, uh, quite honestly, naturally. If we can be, if we can continue to lead with uh, traditional family values and I can protect our way of life and our rural communities, and we can have common sense when it comes to energy-related things and making sure that uh, we have affordable electricity. Right now, our electricity cost, put it in comparison, uh, is around eight ninety a kilowatt hour or something like that. In Europe right now, they're at $180 an hour. I'm telling you, energy independence is going to be so important, and Oklahoma does it right. It's going to be a huge attractor uh, to, to companies that are in, currently in California right now. Uh, California is having problems with their grid, so I think that's so important. Uh, but the four things I always focus on that I tell people, if you elect me for governor for another four years, I'm going to focus on education. I'm going to focus on health care. Uh, we put $700 million into your local hospitals and, and additional reimbursement rates because of my managed care program that we got rolled across the finish line. So, uh, uh, and, then, and then infrastructure, and then the last thing is always the economy. I'm looking at other states. How can I deregulate? How can I have lower taxes to encourage more businesses to be located here? Governor, we're, uh, we're done as far as my questions, but uh, a fi- final uh, comment if you have, uh, as we think about this election November 8th, Uh, what's your message to rural and urban Oklahomans, all the state? Yeah, I just, again, get the the word out that uh, we've come so far in the last four years. And it's just disappointing that that, uh, 25 or million dollars can, you know, confuse people. And so I just try to, I I do this every day, meeting with people, but but I can only meet with probably 1% of the Oklahomans. And so you've got to carry that out. And if you want to see me as your governor, you've got to get the vote out. 
uh, on November 8th. And you got to tell your friends and family and you got to dispel some of the some of the myths and have them ask the questions. Uh, who is behind this dark money group and why are what are they trying to do to buy this election? Uh, but we have the brightest economy we've had in in uh, ever. Uh, we have the lowest unemployment we hit just a few months ago. The, the turnaround that you elected me to do as being an outside business person, it's working. And that's my main message. Uh, I don't think that we want to go backwards. You know, my opponent, she chose to join Joe Biden's party when she couldn't see a path forward for herself. Uh, that's what she did. And I just think that's important that we remember uh, that she's been in charge of education. And it's really no surprise because she closed schools back in 2018 for several weeks. And then in 2020, uh, fought to keep some schools closed and sided with the big liberal unions to close Tulsa public schools for 355 days as I was pounding trying to get it open. Uh, but, you know, the few special interest groups uh, are funding her campaign to the tune of $25 million. I just want to remind everybody, uh, I am always going to focus on the taxpayers and what's best for 4 million Oklahomans, but I'll give you 25 million reasons why she will side with special interest over you, the people. And we're, we're going to keep the momentum going. We've got to do this. We've got to win this on November 8th. Thank you. I would love to have your support and all your family's support. Um, God bless you, and God continue to bless the great state of Oklahoma. Thank you. On behalf of the Oklahoma Farm Bureau, Oklahoma Cattlemen's Association, thank you for coming today. Thank you for listening. Hope you'll uh, have more uh, more insight into uh, those decisions that must be made at the ballot box on the 8th of November. Governor, thank you again so much for coming today, and we have concluded today's session. Thank you very much.